following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Come on, how does it feel to be in church on a Sunday? Man, it feels good, you guys. Man, y'all got energy in the house today. How many of you have already had coffee? Come on, don't lie, raise your hand. Let me see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not had coffee, but that's okay. I'll have some later this afternoon. It's good to see you guys today, man. I, this is my favorite place to be, um, worshiping together with people that, listen, we're not perfect. None of us are, but we're headed in the right direction together. And I'm excited about what God is doing, and we're going to jump right into the Word of God. Come on, is anybody, is anybody ready to grow a little bit? Are you ready to learn a little bit? Yeah. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, I, I preached a message um, entitled Akuna Matata, and I sang a little bit. I'm not that fired up today. There's no singing in this service today, so I hope you, I hope you didn't come to hear me sing. It ain't happening. Come on, that was funny. <laughs> but we talked about uh, what would your life look like if it was worry-free? If you didn't worry, right, and we, we talked about that the Old Testament, there's a lot of laws and commands in the Old Testament, we know this, but then we also talked about how Jesus would come on the scene, and in the New Testament, he would also say some things that weren't so much suggestions. Jesus himself would make some commands as well, and what we talked about last week was found in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus would say this, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. He made it really plain for you and I to not worry. And so we kind of broke that down, but there's, there's so many more commands that he would give us beyond suggestions. And I want to, I want to dive into another one of those today. And so for the next few moments, I want to talk to you from this subject, center court, center court. Have anybody in the room, maybe you're in the overflow auditorium, maybe you're watching online Have you ever experienced, let's say, a a basketball game from center court? Like these are the the primo seats. These are the seats that are right in the middle. You can see all the action that's taking place. See, sometimes if you're stuck under the goal, I mean, that's cool. But at the same time, you can't see what's happening at the other end of the court. So the, the primo seats are center court. And if you're down close enough... You can hear what the benches are saying, what the coaches are saying during the timeouts, but you're like right in the middle of all the action. And don't get me wrong, they're, they're proud of the center court seats. Like the, the, these are the most expensive seats, and it's for a reason, because they're some of the best seats in the house. And so today, I think for us to really understand the biblical story that we're going to dive into, I think it's imperative that we understand where the story takes place and to understand why this is such a big deal really we have to understand where it happened and so the story that we're going to dive into today takes place on what we call um, in our modern times it takes place on the temple mount the temple mount was where the jewish temple stood in the first century and today this is both a, a Jewish and a Muslim holy site. If you need some kind of point of reference, this would be where the Wailing Wall would be located. But in Jesus' time, this was the epicenter 
of God's activity, right, um, of his presence, because on this 30-acre-ish site, there was another building surrounded by some more walls called the Holy Place, where the Holy of Holies would have been located, where the Ark of the Covenant would have been located, where the Ten Commandments would have resided, all in this area. And so after passing through several gates and, and courts, you would find this altar that you've heard preached about so many times in the New Testament where people would come to sacrifice animals. They would bring a sacrifice. This was the entrance. There was an area right here that was an entrance to the Holy of Holies. And so this would be a loud place. This would be a somewhat smelly place. But it was the holiest site for all of ancient Judaism. Now, Located right outside of this area, stay with me for just a moment, I'm setting the stage and it's going to make total sense, I promise. There was a set of stairs called the Southern Stairs. It was more like a staircase, uh, about 240 feet wide. This was massive. And this was, in a sense, and really la uh, for lack of a better term, this was their, their stairway to heaven. Um, this was the, uh, their stairway to forgiveness because week after week, and month after month, year after year, Jewish people would climb these stairs. They would enter the temple with their, with their sacrifice, with their animal, with their pigeons, with their grain offering. And they would bring their sin with them. And they would leave their sin at the altar. And then they would go back down the southern steps free of guilt with their relationship with God restored. This is how it worked in the Old Testament. And so the story that we're going to dive into today takes place in this very space. And I think that knowing where the story takes place, uh, knowing the context of this is what brings just this extraordinary emotion through the story. And so I'm going to ask you today to put yourself in the story. To not just hear it as, as somebody in a church and a pastor telling you the story, but I think for us to really understand the weight of this situation, I want you to, to throw yourself into the story that we find in John chapter 8. And the Bible would say this, early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and he began to teach them. Now, mind you, everywhere that Jesus went, there were crowds of people. Jesus had, had kind of become a big deal. He started saying some things and doing some things that would blow people's mind. And so people started following him. And so they followed him stair by stair. And he finds a nice shady spot perhaps on these southern stairs. And he sits down and he begins to teach. Verse number three says, The scribes and the Pharisees, you know the story, they brought a woman caught in adultery. Now, this was the perfect opportunity for the scribes and the Pharisees to trap Jesus. A woman caught in adultery, and they bring her in, sitting her at center court. They bring her sitting in the center of the court, because this is going to be a public spectacle. This is going to be a, a public event. This is going to be something that, that they want everybody to see. And it's on purpose because they have an agenda. And the welfare of this lady is not the agenda of these people. 
They don't care about her. She is, she's just, they're, they're using her in this moment. And watch what they say in verse 4. They say, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery. The very act. And here, here's what they're really saying. Hey, teacher, we have saved this woman up for this moment. <laughs> Because we're, we're going to try to get you here. We've saved her up and now we're, we're serving her up to watch you fumble over your words and get yourself in trouble. So you can imagine, center court. All I, I'm telling you, it, this is the place to be, center court. You can imagine the crowd as this situation takes place, begins to get quiet, but it begins to grow at the same time. People are coming in. What is happening? Here's this, this famous teacher, and now the scribes and the Pharisees are here. Who is this woman that is laying at his feet? Center court. And now this lady finds herself in the very last place that she wants to be. Center court. Oh, she's been, she's been in the temple before, make no mistake about it, but every time that she had come before, she would climb those southern steps. She was carrying a sacrifice for her sin, but, but this day it looked like she would be sacrificed for her sin. The very last place that she wanted to be. Can you, can you start to feel the tension of the story and the drama as it unfolds? And now, verse 5, now in the law, Moses, they're, they're speaking to Jesus, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What do you say, Jesus? Oh, man. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine? Everybody's like, Ugh. Like, what is happening? What, what are you saying? You could have heard a pin drop throughout the entire plaza. Verse 6, they were saying this, testing him, Jesus, so that they could accuse him. Because their goal, listen, their goal was always to divide Jesus from the people. They were trying to divide Jesus from his following so that his name would be run through the mud, so he would be discredited. And now they have a crowd. They're center court, y'all. This is, this is the place to be. They're in a perfect spot. Because now, on trial publicly, it's Jesus versus Moses. It's Jesus versus the temple. In essence, they're saying, so, so Jesus, are you greater than Moses? Are you greater than the law? This is what they're asking. They're, oh, this is going to be great. We can't wait for you to answer, Jesus. There's people all around. We're, we're center court. I mean, all eyes are on you right now, Jesus. What are you going to say? We got you. Can you imagine the emotion of the moment, the buildup of the moment as Jesus stands and views this poor woman laying at his feet, a woman who is simply a means to an end for these scribes and Pharisees. And so here they are in the epicenter of the presence of God. Their center court and Jesus in verse 6. I love, what Je I love how Jesus responds. This is so powerful. Jesus stoops down and with his finger he would write on the ground. You've heard the story. Now, Jesus is on the Temple Mount. 
etching in the sand with his own finger, and everyone waited. Everyone is silent. What is, what is he writing? What? They, they're trying to trip him up. Can you imagine their friends are looking at each other like, what is happening? Do they have him? And Jesus is writing in, in the sand. But the accusers began to get louder and louder and louder. They persisted, the Bible says. In other words, they're, they're kind of suggesting, hey, um, Jesus, uh, time's up. Stop trying to come up with an answer in your mind. We know what you're doing. You're stalling so you don't get yourself in trouble. You're trying to figure out your words right now so you can get at stop. We need an answer. Let's go, Jesus. Come on. And the longer he waited, the more they thought they had him. Oh, he has no clue what he's going to say. He's, he's trying to come up with a good one right now. But Jesus, y'all, Jesus was simply giving, this is so powerful, he was giving them time to expose their hearts to the people that were around them. And evidently, he was giving them time to expose their hearts to themselves as well. Because verse 7 says this, when they persisted in asking him, can you imagine, can you imagine you're, you're trying, knowing now what you know about Jesus and you're trying to rush him on an answer and Jesus is down etching in the sand with his finger and the Bible says this, he straightened up. Can you imagine Jesus turn, when you're trying to rush him, like knowing you're trying to trip him up and he turns and he looks at you? Can you oh man, what's happening? And he stood back up, the Bible says. And he says to them one of the most quotable verses in the entire Bible. He says, he who is without sin. Remember this, he who is without sin among you. Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. But let's not forget where we're standing, boys. He who is without sin among you, you, you cast the first stone. But before you pick that stone up and rear back to throw it at her, let's not, let's not forget where we're standing. See, gentlemen, Mr. Scribe, Mr. Pharisee, how many times have you yourself climbed these very southern stairs to the mount to enter the gate to make a sacrifice? For your own sin. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast a stone at her. And it hits them. It hits them, y'all. They're standing in the very place that is most reminiscent of some of their greatest personal failures. Let's not forget where we're standing. I know you're ready to be judgmental right now, and I know you're trying to trip me up on my words, but you've, you've brought this lady into it, but don't forget where you're, I know you're tripping me up, but guess what? You're standing in a place that you have climbed day after day, week after year. This is the place your mama brought you as children to bring sacrifices for your own. So let he who is without sin among you cast the first stone. Don't forget where you're standing, boys. And there's something even more amazing about the drama because there was one 
in this room. There was one center court. There was one among them who had no sin. And he didn't have a stone either. The Bible says this again. So Jesus, he had enough. He, he looked at him. He stands up. He mic drops them with that statement. And then he says, now I'm going to get back to my business. And he gets back down. And he begins to write on the ground. And, and when the context of the situation finally dawns on them where they were and what they were about to do and how unworthy they were to do what they thought that they should be doing, when they thought about how many times they deserved to be stoned for their own sin, when it finally hits them and their, their self-righteousness begins to, to subside and they, they have this moment where they're seeing clearly the Bible says, says it this way, when they heard it, they began <laughs> to go out. They started leaving. They started filing out of this center court area. And now, y'all, Jesus, Jesus and this woman find themselves in the center of the court. Now, now think about this for a second. This is so powerful. She's sitting with the Lamb of God in the temple of God with the sound, perhaps, of dying sheep in the background. And she didn't know the magnitude of who this man was that is with her center court. Straightening up, Jesus in verse 10 says, Ma'am, where are they? Did no one condemn you? The question doesn't really mean. He's not asking, are you guilty? She's already pretty much admitted her guilt in this situation. The question was more so this. Is there no one here forcing you to pay for what you've done? She looks up at him in verse 11 and she says, No, Lord, I, don't, I, I guess not. Um, there were. I mean, I, I know they brought me in here and threw me down. They're, they were here, but no, they're, they're not here right now. And some of you, listen, somebody in this room, somebody watching online, somebody sitting in overflow, this may be the very reason that you came to church today. You weren't going to come, but something happened and you said, no, you know what, I need to get there. And maybe this is the reason that you needed to get here, to hear what Jesus would tell her next. He says, ma'am, I don't, I don't condemn, I don't condemn you either. I know what you've done. I know what you've been accused of doing. I know the spectacle that they're trying to make of you, but they're gone and you need to know right now, standing center court, that I don't condemn you either. Ma'am, I, I, I'm not here to force you to pay for what you've done. And what Jesus just announced to the entire world in this moment is that, listen, everybody that's watching, everybody that's, that has gathered around center court, what he's done is he's just told them, I am so much greater than Moses. 
I'm greater than the law. I'm greater than the Old Testament. See, I've come to replace all of that. And then he gives us what I want to share with you today. This is this, is this little command. Last week was worry not. This week he looks at her and he tells her this. I don't condemn you either. Go. Go. But from now on, sin no more. You're free to go. I want you to go. I'm not here to condemn you. But from now on, sin no more. Now, this, now I know I hear, I hear the apprehension in some of your voices like, you want to amen, but you also know what you did yesterday, right? Like, sin no more, really? Like, Jesus is, he, it's very plain. Je- Jesus isn't saying, hey, like, it might be a good idea if you didn't sin. No, 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 sin no more. It's, I mean, it's as, it's as clear as clear can be. And it seems almost unrealistic pre-cross and pre-resurrection, but it comes, you got to hear this, it comes with a different tone than what perhaps you're used to hearing and what you're accustomed to. And this is the tone of Jesus towards sinners. This may not be the tone that you've heard growing up in a church that you grew up in as a kid. It may not have been the tone of your mom. It may not have been the tone of your dad. It may not have been the tone of other Christians that you're associated with. And it's probably why you haven't come to church in a long time. But somehow, some way, you found yourself in a church today. And Jesus, in this moment, exposes his heart towards sinners. And his tone was not condemning his tone was about compassion. And you got to catch this. He, he urged this woman. He did not condemn this woman. Listen, he does not condone your sin, but he doesn't condemn you for it either. He urges you. And what he's telling her is, ma'am, listen, there's nobody here accusing you. I'm urging you in this moment to leave your life of sin. Why? Because Jesus knew what every one of us eventually discover. That every sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. Every sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. Let me talk to you for just a moment. Every sin, every time that you commit a sin, something is dying. The wages of sin is death, says the Bible. Sin kills things. Sin over time will kill your conscience. There's some things that you do now that used to bother you, but now you don't even think twice about it. Sin will ultimately kill your mind. Sin can kill your body. It will kill your self-respect. It'll kill your relationships. For some of you sitting in this room, for some of you sitting in overflow and watching online, 
sin has already killed a family. Sin has killed a marriage. It's killed a relationship between you and your father or, or you and your mother or between you and one of your children. Sin will kill your self-control. Every, every sin comes prepackaged with a penalty. And Jesus, in this moment, as she's laying at his feet at center court, he urges her, Ma'am, I'm telling, I'm not condemning you, but I am urging you to go and sin no more. I don't need to punish you for your sins. Your sins have already punished you. Everybody around here knows exactly what it is that you have done. I don't need to punish you. Your sin has already killed your reputation in the community. I'm not here, I'm not here for that. I know that that may be what people are trying to say about me. No, no, no. But you in this moment, center court, front and center, right here. You, I'm trying to tell you, ma'am. But I'm not here to condemn you. That's not my, my reasons. See, the temple model is that when you sin, you break God's law. But the Jesus model says when you sin... You break God's heart. So sin no more. Leave your life of sin. So I want to ask you today what is your thing? What is that What is that thing that maybe maybe it makes you feel like your center stage, center court, and all eyes are on you. Everybody's looking at you, pointing fingers, judging you because of a mistake you made 20 what what is what is that thing for you? What is the thing that you keep falling in time and time again. You, you feel like you take a step forward only to take two steps back. And you're not sure you appreciate a pastor preaching on sin today. But I hope you receive the way that Jesus is teaching us about sin. He's not here to condemn you today. Well, I'm talking to somebody in the room today who feels so ashamed of your past, who's carrying guilt that you weren't intended to carry. And Jesus is sweet, his presence is sweeping in this room right now. And he's whispering to you, you feel the nudge of his spirit. He says, I don't condemn you. I love you. And in case you forgot, I died for your sins. 
Stop trying to continue to pay for your sins. You can't do it. I already paid the price. I'm not going to condemn you, but I will urge you to sin no more because I know what sin does to your life. I know what it does on your job. I know what it does to your family. I know what it does to your relationship with your spouse. It will begin to kill everything in your life. And so today I'm urging you to do something different. I'm urging you to a life of following. A life of following me and I promise if you will take a step of faith and follow me, listen, it may not be perfect, but I'm going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. The joy that you've been looking for with all that other stuff. The peace that you've been trying to find in alcoholism and drug addiction and sex addiction. I can give you exactly what you need. Just stand with me all across this room. We have just a few minutes left, and I think I think the only way to end our time together today. is to just ask God to search our hearts, to search our mind. God, what is it in me that's unclean? If I don't know it, let me know, Lord. I don't want to be the same. I want you to change me. And for some of you, you know what it is. Pastor Randy is going to sing and play for just 30 seconds to a minute, and while he's doing that, I wish... That everyone, and I don't care how holy you are, you still got something. <laughs> and I wish for the next 30 t- seconds to a minute, you would take just a moment to say, God, wash me white as snow. Forgive me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I admit it. As Pastor Randy sings, would you just take a moment. That's what I want. Yeah. Wash me, Lord. Wash me, Lord. God, you know my heart. You know my life. You know that thing. God, and you brought us to this moment. Forgive me. Search my heart. Come on, let that be your prayer. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Talk to him. That's it. He hears every word you're saying right now. Yeah, yeah. Give me a pure heart.
Yeah. So Lord, today, right now, you've searched our heart. We've asked for forgiveness. The beautiful thing about being in relationship with you is that you are quick to forgive. Your mercy is made new every morning. And I thank you for what you're doing in this room right now. And, and we choose, after a moment of repentance, to follow that up with a heart that says, I choose to follow you and pursue you with everything that I have. And we take your urging and we say, Lord, I want to leave my life of sin. And I'm grateful that you died for me and I receive that today. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you. We bless your name. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Wow. Come on, can somebody give the Lord a hand clap today? Hey, so listen. You don't hear sin preached about every Sunday around here. But the truth is, it's all of us. And he's not asking you to be perfect. Here's the beautiful thing. When you fall, get back up. He's not keeping you down. He's there to help pull you back up and say, let's go, I got you. I love you, so I don't know what your week looks like, but I want you to leave here encouraged, knowing that Jesus loves you more than you can begin to imagine. That your mind can't comprehend how much he loves you. The thoughts that he has about you, if you could get into his brain and know the thoughts that he has about you, you would just do a little dance all around your house because you couldn't contain it. That's how much he loves you. So walk out of here with your head held high. Walk out of here knowing that you don't have to live a life full of sin, but you can live a life following Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next Sunday in the house. Have a great rest of your weekend.